Hi everyone, welcome to the Green Living Podcast that I host every Monday at this time with Vanessa Champion and where we talk about all kinds of aspects of green living. Now, today, two things are different from our regular podcast. First of all, Ness can unfortunately not join us today, but she hopes to be here again next week, uh, which might be on the Monday or maybe another day. I will let you know. But second, today's podcast is not about green issues, and nor is it about living, which I guess... Uh, the word died in the title of today's podcast already hinted at that. So how did we get here? Um, two weeks ago, we decided to something else for a change and to do a podcast on pop songs or folk or rock songs about the environment. And during that podcast, we also mentioned Michael Jackson's Earth song. And then we noticed that that was the last song that he ever performed. And that led to last week's podcast, and we are not all a music podcast, but it, it triggered the idea for last week's podcast about the last songs that famous singers ever performed or recorded. And then during this second broadcast about music, we touched upon the death of Buddy Holly and his last song. And from there, it was just a very small step to um, John McLean's uh, famous song, American Pie. And we decided to talk today only about that song, a full podcast about one song, but unfortunately it's just me today. So I will start with some talk, but um, unlike my Sunday podcast, feel free to use the chat or to call in for, for comments or questions, because we are talking about pop music and I'm sure, well, I'm not sure if this pop music actually, but we are talking about music and I'm sure that everybody has some kind of feeling or opinion um, about this music, this particular song, or maybe the music that it refers to, or maybe the time and age that it does re refer to. And I, I suppose that you all know the song. I mean, it must be difficult to have missed this this one all your lives. It, it came out in 1971. I was six by that time. I can't remember it coming out. Um, but do you maybe remember when you first heard the song? And the, because... For me, um, I knew it already, but whenever I hear it, it brings back memories of Morocco. And I know that Morocco is maybe one of the very few subjects that is not covered in this song, but for me it works that way. In, in 1992, 30 years ago, I worked for a while at the Netherlands Embassy in Rabat, in the capital, uh, it's the capital of Morocco, and every day I got a ride from one of the women working in the embassy. And every time we drove, she played this song. We still had cassette players in those days, which in the heat of Morocco is not very easy to keep them well. But anyway, it was the, the, the music itself was singing already by the quality of the tape. But still, this was 30 years ago. And whenever I hear this song, I'm driving through the streets of Rabat, even though the song has nothing at all to do with Rabat or Morocco. And I remember that we asked ourselves what the song was really about, that we had no clue, and we were speculating a bit. And uh, it was only years later that I found out, and throughout the years I've been reading about it, and sometimes you come across another article or another theory, and I, I, I kind of keep up to, it, up to date to, um, to what people think about this song. And 
as I said in the previous podcast, the, the day the music died is uh, this, this fateful day of the, the 3rd of February 1959 um, when a chartered aircraft crashed in Iowa just minutes after it took off and um, that caused the death of, of three young uh, artists. Buddy Holly, who was only 22, and Richie Valens and uh, the big bopper, J.P. Richardson, um, and the pilot also died. So there were, were four people that died. Um, I think everybody uh, agrees that uh, the day the music died, which is a line that that uh, McLean wrote, uh, refers to this uh, this this uh, this tragedy. And I think that's one of the few things where he has been clear about as well. So um, he um, yeah. So Buddy Holly was. Uh, I mean, for now, if you, if you listen to his music, it sounds uh, really, yeah, rather simple, old-fashioned, uh, early rock and roll without any of the of the, 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 the beauty and the complexities that in the second half of the 1960s uh, were added by brilliant uh, musicians. But in his day, he was he was he was really great and growing. He had uh, some some 60 songs that were all uh, big hits. Now, this song American Pie was released in 1971, and it was uh, for four weeks uh, a number one hit song, and it's it's been played ever since, which was kind of rare because it's uh, it's like eight and a half minutes long, and normally singles, as we call them in those days, were just uh, were just like three or maximum four minutes long. So that was this was really a rarity um there were a few longer pop songs but they never made it to to hit i think sad eyed lady of the lowlands of dylan of blonde on blonde which is i think 66 uh is much longer it is it's just uh this this double album it's uh it's i think the the last uh, half the fourth part of of the album so it's it's just one side of 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 a complete what do you call it in english album a long player and um uh, which is, by the way, also iconic, but I think uh, people don't know it because it, it's not it's not played so much. So um, in th this song was actually in 2017. It was um, accepted in the Library of Congress National Recording Registry. There's less than 500 works in there, so that's something to be uh, to be proud of. He is proud of it himself as well. I remember that he said in an interview already years ago that uh, writing this song meant that he never has to work again so it must have been financially good for him to uh, to write this song so what is this song all about um he uh mclean admitted that it's about the death of buddy holly um but he he never gave much away of what it was was really about um, when Buddy Holly died in '59, McLean was um, a paper boy in New Rochelle, and he learned about the plane crash when he opened the papers that he was delivering that day. And you can find that back in the song. Early in the song, he sings, "But February made me shiver with every paper I deliver. Bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't take one more step." Which I, by the way, find one of the worst lines in the whole song. It's, it's. I find it weak to use the word "step" uh, in two lines in a row, uh, using it in more or less the same uh, meaning. But who am I to criticize this beautiful song? 
and um, he's been interviewed a lot, but he always keeps it, it as mysterious as possible. Um, but he he did admit that the song is about the the turn from the innocence of the 1950s to the to the much darker and much more volatile times of of the 1960s, a period that really shaped uh, the future of America and, and the future of, of of the world in that sense. Um, and it's it's both about this dynamic change in music as well as in the politics uh, of the days, which makes the 1960s so so mighty interesting. Um, so, yeah, you could say it's about the cultural, the political decline of the U.S. in the 1960s, um, a farewell to the American dream after the assassination of, of President Kennedy. Uh, personally, I always feel that the assassination of his brother was, in hindsight, more decisive than uh, than the murder of, of, of the president uh, years earlier. Um, and then there's this this really mysterious chorus, Bye Bye Miss American Pie, drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And he's been asked a lot about what this means, and um, he just refuses to say anything about it, and people don't really have a clue what it's really about. Um, and he uh, referred recently in an interview that um, Carly, Carly Simon is also still silent about uh, what Your Zofane is about. And that was written in about the same time, also in the early um, early 70s. But uh, Carly Simon, Simon has at least now revealed uh, that uh, the second of the three verses is about Warren Beatty. Um, and now... Uh, she said that uh, Warren Beatty is. Um, uh, I'm, I'm looking in the street. There are two guys in a fight. That's distracting a little bit. Shouting a lot. It's about a falsely parked car. Um, I need a studio for this. And um, but uh, yeah. So she said about Warren Beatty that um, he is. Uh, I'm going to sit somewhere else. There's so much noise here. I'm not sure if you can hear it. Um, but uh, she she referred uh, to one of the famous lines, uh, you probably think this song is about you. So when she was asked about what the first and the third verse was about, then she said, well, Warren Beatty thinks that the whole song is about him. So she keeps it as uh, as mysterious as it is. I'm trying to see if I can go back to my desk, walking around with an iPhone. Yeah, the guys are finally in their cars. They're not really beating each other up. Um, so, yeah, there's... Uh, complete fan sites, um, web, uh, complete websites of fans dedicated completely to decoding the song. Uh, who was the jester who sang for the king and queen, and uh, what what was revealed when on the day that the music died? And is it about the Vietnam War? Is it about Bob Dylan? Uh, is it about uh, the Beatles? Um, it's a bit of all of that, actually. And uh, well, I'm no expert at all. I'm just interested in this song and if you if you start searching for it you find enormous amounts of information um there's tens of thousands of self-declared experts there's uh, all those uh, all those websites there's books um i've no ambition to join them but i do share the fascination for this piece of, of pop mystery and i wonder actually if it's pop music i, I used that word earlier 
I find it hard to define. There's elements in it of, of folk music, there's rock and roll in it. Um, it's interesting that McLean himself, he loves the structure of the song much more than these fascinating lyrics. He called it the perfect fusion of music styles, the slow opening and then the chorus that, that speeds up and that's like rock and roll. Um, uh, then there's the storytelling part, uh, the, 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 the folk element in, the, in these verses. So um, let's go to the song itself. Um, it starts with um, a long, long time ago. And that wasn't that long ago, actually. Um, this, uh, this song was a hit in 1972. It was written in 71. Uh, and Buddy Holly died in 1959. So it sounds now like a long, long time ago. Uh, but it was at that moment, just 12 years earlier. And then he thinks, I can still remember how the music used to make me smile. And I knew that if I had my chance, that I could make those people dance. And maybe they'd be happy for a while. So um, rock and roll is about dance music. That was very much what it was all about in, in, in the, in the mid-1950s, second half 1950s, when it all, all developed. And uh, yeah, so he was dreaming about becoming a musician. And I guess he's been successful at that. And then uh, what I already referred to, that he was the newspaper boy. February made him shiver with every paper I deliver. And um, then there's also this line, I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride. And that must have been a little bit later because um, his... he. Buddy Holly was recently married and his wife was pregnant with their first one uh, when when Buddy Holly died in this plane crash and she had a miscarriage shortly afterwards um, and that is most likely this refers to that and um, and then he thinks something touched me deep inside the day the music died and that's the first time that you hear this line and yeah that's of course the day the music died, and it's it's three top musicians of its day all dying at the very same moment. There was actually a fourth one. There wasn't place for for him in the plane, and um, uh, so they tossed who would get on board, and um, and he he escaped that way by not stepping on board. And um, then goes on uh, with for the first time you get this refrain, "Bye bye Miss American Pie," now. Who's this Miss American Pie? There's, there's different theories about it. One rumor is that he dated a Miss America candidate, um, and that this refers to that. Um, other people say that um, there's this saying, I don't know it on top of my head, but something like um, that's as common as, um, as apple pie in America, that apple pie stands for something typical American. And that those days of the the happy, stable uh, 1950s, let's say those Eisenhower days, where um, uh, where where people were uh, living in peace, and there was uh, everybody got their first refrigerator and their first washing machine, and uh, salaries were going up. Um, that's the kind of stable, typical American life, very much family based, very classic in a way. Um, that that was all going to end 
because those rebellious 1960s were starting. So there's different views on this. And they get these trains lined, uh, drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, this will be the day that I die, this will be the day that I die. And that last part is easier to understand, because it clearly refers to uh, one of Buddy Holly's hits, uh, which is, that will be the day, and then it's a bit silent, that I die. Um, the first part driving the Chevy to the levee, um, but the levee was dry. That's probably some kind of very personal memory that um, that he hang out there with friends or something, but he refuses <laughs> to talk about it. Um, then in the early part, you find a lot of references to to other hits, all from this, this, this early period of the roughly decade that he's writing about. It's all about the 1950s. So Did You Write the Book of Love is uh, by the Monotones, a hit from the, the late 1950s. And Do You Have Faith in God Above, If the Bible Tells You So? And there's, there's a few options here. There is a song, The Bible Tells Me So, from, from 1955. Um, but it could also be a Sunday school song that, that many kids knew in America, which is, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So different different options, what could have been the source for that one. And then he goes on, now do you believe in rock and roll? And that is uh, a hit in 1965, so a bit later than the early 1950s he's singing, uh, the late 1950s he's singing about, um, uh, with John Sebastian, so do you believe in magic? And this song has the line, do you believe in magic? It's like trying to tell a stranger about rock and roll. So that is, that could have been an influence, this pure speculation. Um, and can music save your mortal soul? And can you teach me how to dance real slow? And dancing slow, uh, that was typically a part of, of, of rock and roll in the early days. Um, but that's something that was lost in, in the 1960s, uh, where, when you got those, those endless guitar solos that even got longer and more aggressive in the 1970s until we got rid of it listen to songs like Jesus Christ Superstar or so in the opening, that is typically um, uh, how that took over from the from the classic rock and roll. Um, so, yeah, so he refers to late 50s, early 60s, uh, dancing slow on, on rock and roll. And the next line is also about that. Um, well, I know that you're in love with him because I saw you dancing in the gym because you didn't have discotheques or anything basically there wasn't much for young people it was a society built for older people where suddenly the young people having uh, no economic crisis and not having a war to fight in and having better financial prospects because everybody was getting richer in the 1950s suddenly they were claiming their their space and and society was starting to look more at young people and young people got got more room um, but dancing uh, was, in those days, still an expression of love, and you did that much more with one 
partner. You had your dance partner, like, um, uh, like you were, yeah, kind of together. You didn't just change from the one dance partner to the other as we would do nowadays. And um, and then he thinks you both kicked off your shoes, and that's this the same thing. There weren't like really discotheques or anything where you could dance. So the the sock hops that was uh, you you take off your shoes and then uh, you you can dance on the wooden floor of the basketball courts uh, without destroying the wood with your shoes. The memory that I had when I had to do my final exam at um, at the uh, uh, at the high school, high school exams, um, everybody had to take off their shoes because it was done in the sports hall. So, with cold feet, you were filling in all those uh, all those exams for two weeks in a row uh, to finally finish high school. And then he says, "Man, I dig those rhythm and blues." And of course, rhythm and blues is is one of the one of the main sources for for rock and roll. It was it was. Originally, this was called race music, and then later they 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 softened. This came from 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 um, from the black performance, and then later they they changed it into rhythm and blues. And it was the, f the white people got popular by singing songs that were actually created and and made popular uh, in 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 the black communities by black singers, and then. Um, so Elvis Presley is clearly also somebody who's been been influenced by by the gospel and by uh, also by the by the rhythm and blues music. But being a white performer, he could reach a much larger audience. It's only later in the late 1950s that you got people like Fats Domino or or Little Richard that were finally also able to uh, to get uh, to get records. Um, and um, so that's a referral to that. And then he says, I was a lonely teenage broken buck with a pink carnation and a pickup truck. Um, that refers to another hit, which I don't know, actually. I should look it up. Um, but uh, a white sports coat was a hit from Marty Robbins in 57. And then he goes on, but I knew that I was out of luck. The day the music died, I started singing and you get to refrain again. Then the third of the, of the five verses is he quickly goes forward in time. He says, now for 10 years, we've been on our own. So basically, he's already in 69, because in 59, um, uh, Buddy Holly died. Um, so uh, about 10 years after the crash, crash, and then he's singing, a moss grows fat on a rolling stone, which I have always believed uh, as one, probably the first time I read an interpretation of this line, um, is uh, that it could be Dylan. Uh, there's, of course, his, his basically his only hit. I mean, he didn't have many hits. He's, he's a brilliant uh, writer of songs and a brilliant performer, but um, he's not some kind of hit monster that's con constantly in the hit parade. But like a Rolling Stone in 65, um, that's his first and I think biggest hit that he really had. Um, and it, that was in 65, but uh, then he, he stayed home. He didn't perform between 66 and 74. And he started to earn money. His, his old days from, from Greenwich Village were over. He was just you know living in a house in Woodstock, um, getting his royalties. Um, so that is not really the uh, 
the 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 angry Dylan that wanted to to change the world. So yeah, moss grows fat on a rolling stone. Other people say it might refer to Elvis, which I think is unlikely because uh, he's he will later be referred to uh, as as the king. Uh, doesn't make sense to to do that, but yeah, some say uh, um, Elvis was already uh, yeah getting. Uh, getting more fat and uh, not being the lean dancer that he was in uh, in the early days. Um, it could also be a referral to rock and roll in general uh, after uh, everything that had changed in the 1960s. So the, the, the real rock and roll was kind of dying out because rock music, pop music and all kinds of other forms were, were rapidly developing, especially after about 65 and those, those last few years. Um, so yeah, stagnation of rock and roll. I think that's 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 another viable theory. Um, but then he, uh, and I think this is an extra indication that this is this previous line is actually about Bob Dylan because then he thinks, but that's not how it used to be when the jester sang for the king and queen. That Bob Dylan is the jester in the song. That is, I think everybody agrees on that one um and uh but then who are the king and queen um here sometimes people say it's elvis presley i don't think it's logical on this one um the queen uh could also be connie francis or little richard which i also find is less logical i believe most in the interpretation that this refers to the kennedys seen as the king and queen of camelot um, who were present at a Washington, D.C. civil rights rally uh, with Martin Luther King. And there is a recording of Bob Dylan performing at this rally. And I believe this is uh, the most logical because this is typically an event that I can imagine that McLean uh, refers to. Because here you got uh, Washington Civil Rights Rally, you got Martin Luther King, you got Kennedys, you got Dylan, you got all of it uh, together. Uh, and Dylan still being as, as, as fierce a performer as he was in, 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 in the early 60s. And then he refers to, and that I think is again um, an image that uh, the moss growing on the Rolling Stone must still be uh, um, Bob Dylan. Uh, in a coat he borrowed from James Dean, and I think I spoke about it in one of the one of the last podcasts um, that uh, he he's wearing this this red uh, windbreaker um, that that he's wearing on the cover of the freewheeling Bob Dylan, um, and uh, it's uh, yeah it's it's the most well known picture of 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 James Dean. It's it's iconic for uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Um, I recently saw the film La La Land, where it also um, all these references to um, uh, to Rebel Without a Cause, including the red jacket, uh, come up. Um, so yeah, it it could be that uh, that 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 this is what it is. I, I suppose it's it's all about uh, all about Dylan, also because Dylan has been so essential for the history of pop music in the 1960s. He's demanded put content into uh, into songs that's before before Dylan there was it was just you know the love love me do kind of kind of text and and and, and now there were creative lyrics um, so he's been extremely important in that sense 
And then he sings, and a voice that came from you and me. Um, that's about pop music. That's about Woody Guthrie. Uh, that's about Pete Seeger. Both of them I also covered in, in one of the, the previous uh, podcasts. Uh, folk music is the music of the masses. It's the people's music. It's, it's a voice that came from you and me, the voice of the people. And then sings, and while the king was looking down, and I think this time the king is actually Elvis, the jester stole his thorny crown. Um, so Elvis, classic in, in as, as uh, classic for rock and roll and an, an extremely creative and important force in the late 50s and early 60s, um, Elvis was a bit on decline. He later had a comeback in his, his white suits and his... Uh, um, in, in, the, in the completely different Elvis, uh, as we saw him in his uh, last years in, in, in the late 60s and especially the early 70s. And then uh, Dylan, uh, yeah, he, he took over. He took over the thorny crown, which is the high price of fame, um, especially for Dylan, which um, maybe... Uh, McLean couldn't know by that time, but we know from from later stages that for Dylan, the thorny crown, crown, uh, this this prize of fame has always been really really difficult. I referred to that in an earlier podcast when I uh, described uh, being present uh, on on the 10th December celebration of the of the Nobel Prizes for Literature in uh, Stockholm. Um, and uh, Dylan not being present to to receive his uh, his Nobel Prize, which I think was a very bad mistake of not showing up, by the way. Um, so yeah, um, and then we get to the courtroom was adjourned and no verdict was returned, and that is most likely uh, this trial of the Chicago Seven. Uh, which is, uh, by the way, there's quite recently, there was a, a, a good movie, I think it's now a few years old, um, I saw it on Netflix, and it's it's fascinating, it's an Aaron Sorkin uh, movie, the same guy who's uh, behind the West Wing uh, series, which I think is one of the best series I saw on Netflix, I'm not very much of a Netflix watcher, by the way, um, I normally work and write in the evenings, um, but um, this uh, the trial of Chicago Seven. If you can find it, it's a uh, it's a good one. It's about these um, anti-Vietnam War protesters that were charged with uh, conspiracy and crossing the state lines. Um, and uh, well, finally the conspiracy didn't uh, didn't hold. Uh, first, well, the um, the uh, crossing the state lines. I think finally they all uh, they all got out. Um, and it's 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 directly related to those uh, the the infamous uh, 1968 Democratic National Convention of Chicago, and there's of course a direct link uh, to the murder on uh, on on Bobby Kennedy in '68. Uh, and then the song goes on um, while uh, while Lennon read a book on Marx. And the funny thing is, when I and that's that's intentional, I'm sure that when I heard the song but had never known what it was about, uh, I always thought about it was about Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, uh, reading a book of Marx. Uh, there is actually uh, still in the Moscow Museum a, uh, a, a book of Marx, uh, Das Kapital, and the Communist Manifest, uh, which is full of notes uh, written by uh, 
uh, by Lenin uh, in the marriages. And of course, Lenin has read a book of Marx. But Lenin, John Lennon, uh, was also reading about Karl Marx. Um, probably didn't spend too much time on it, but of course, uh, the, the, uh, there is, um, uh, for somebody who's been so outspoken on radical politics and, and, and changing the way uh, we treat each other and government should treat people, um, it's, it's clearly something for him. For him, some people say it refers to Groucho Marx. Um, I, I would I would say that's uh, uh, well, it's not a theory that I believe of this part. Um, I'm looking at the chat, by the way. Oh, I see uh, Evelyn. Uh, this is making me feel young. First time I remember hearing the song was Madonna's cover version in 2000. Oh, let's not talk about that one. That is such a bad version. That is just just a four minute version, and she. Well, first of all, she can't sing. Um, that is a problem for a singer. Uh, but second, is that by just taking a few of of the lyrics instead of this uh, this complicated structure, that is like uh, well, that's 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 just. I thought it was so bad, it was such a disaster. But it's funny to hear. Uh, <laughs> sorry I brought it up this is not personal Evelyn but um, uh, that is uh, that is just I found it amazing that that was actually that that became a hit again um, because it's it's uh, it's a worse version and it's performed much worse um, and yeah I think it was connected to a movie that I've never seen and I, I want to keep it that way so I thought that was just that was just pretty bad Um the only time that she did sing where I thought she was actually able to sing a little bit was um, in uh, in Evita, so the, the, the film version of the of the Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice uh, rock musical. Um, I thought there she could sing. She actually took lessons that time uh, to sing. Uh, but yeah, I'm not a big fan. I see Sharon. Uh, oh, I'm pressing the wrong button. Wait, stay there, Sharon. Uh, how do I do this? Mm, I should do take next caller. This is the right button. There we are. Hi, Sharon. <laughs> Hello. I thought I was going to have to leave you. Couldn't get on. Um, I think that um, for me, this song is like, it's just poetry. And I think poetry... Uh, can be emotional for me. Poetry can make me sad. Poetry can make me remember. And I do remember um, this song and I remember driving around um, in my ranchero just dragging Main Street um, listening to this song. Um, I think poetry can give us patience. You know, it endures. Yeah. I think this song has endured. And I yeah. think it means something to all of us, and I think it can mean something different to all of us. And one thing I wanted to mention too is fate, the word fate. One of the singers that you mentioned that did not make that flight was Waylon Jennings. Yeah. And um, <laughs> uh, Waylon Jennings turned out uh, to have deep ties to Arizona. He was um, oh, wow. started out as a disc jockey in the small town that I'm from, and. Be, and went on to become, you know, an American poet, if you will, in his own right, in the country music genre. And I just wonder, you know, how that shaped his, uh, his poetry or his music. But, you know, 
fate had something to do with this or, you know, the luck of the draw or, or however you want to put that. But I thought that was interesting. Um, and I think he doesn't talk about it a lot, but you know that that had to shape him as well. So I just think that, um, you know, poetry to me and this song, it just makes me remember. And, and sometimes it makes me sad because, you know, as Americans, we're very protective of what we think is our history or whatever, you know, it's mine, mine, mine. But this song turns out to be the world's. And this song turns out to be, you know, like you, Alex, you've really dug deep into this song and, and I appreciate, you know, your insights in this, but it, it, I think it's just, it can mean something to all of us. And to me, it's kind of, it's really sad. It's like, you know, um, like you said, like the um, assassination of JFK, the, um, the, the 60s, uh, the Joan Baez era. We've talked about Joan Baez before, Pete Seeger. Um, you know, all those folk songs that made us realize that, you know, our morality may be going the other way. And while we were just out having fun and, you know, I really wanted to go to Haight-Ashbury. But um, so, um, I was just a small town Arizona girl wanting to be a hippie. So um, that's just, just, those are just my insights. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is fantastic. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of, uh, how do you say that in English? Melancholia, melancholic uh, in, in the song. Um, and because the 60s has been... Uh, a tremendous force of good in in kind of personal liberation and in cultural development, etc. Um, so I think in 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 society it gave a boost in uh, let's say everywhere where we are now with uh, LGBT rights or or with uh, with um, uh, the, the the progress made uh, against segregation or women's rights, etc. All of these things found their roots, or at least got a huge boost in in the 1960s. But while while culturally things were moving forward, you already see uh, in the second half of the 1960s, you see the the forces of evil that are so present in the United States for the first time uniting in um, in in stopping this way towards towards progress and they've become more and more forceful over and over again the, the second blow was uh, in the second half of the 1980s and i think the, the 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 third and worst part was was the trump years that we that we just met so those are like in like with 20 year intervals we the the the, the progress of the us is is slipping backwards and um, it will uh, this this week will actually be quite interesting in the U.S. Uh, when um, when the hearings um, uh, get um, uh, get off in 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 Washington about uh, the sixth of January events. Uh, this is this is going to be exciting because this is whatever the outcome will be. History is is going to be written uh, in this week and the weeks to follow. That is uh, that's fascinating. And then, yeah, you mentioned Pete Seeger. Um, that is typically, you know, uh, the voice of you and me. Uh, sailing down my dirty stream, still love it, and I'll keep the dream uh, that someday, though maybe not this year, 
my Hudson River will once again run clear. I love those kind of lines. I mean, that is that is what folk song is should should be all about. You know, making making you aware, um, realizing about what's happening in society that you're part of society, that you actually have a voice, that you can make change. Um, that is, I wish we would have a much stronger community of those kind of singers right now at this moment when there are problems in the world that our leaders are just not enough aware of first and foremost climate change and and degradation of nature um uh, on top of all the other problems that we are dealing with and and music can be so powerful i mean i my political views have been shaped by listening to singers of the 1960s while i was actually doing listening to these songs in in let's say the second half of the 1970s so they were already 10 years old but they were they were a powerful drug to me to 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 make me aware of of society in a way that i didn't get at school or that i didn't get from my parents and i wish we would have much more influential singers these days instead of the the nonsense they're singing about um let them where's the anger it is it is their future these singers are young their future is being stolen from them from the older generations why why don't they why don't they rise up and why is music so so tame these days maybe because the big music industry is in the hands of 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 our generation and not their generation that that might be that might play a role i don't know let's go back to the song um in um uh, <laughs> I see a comment from, from Evelyn about Willie. Um, so, yeah, so Lennon read a book on Marx. And then uh, while Lennon read a book on Marx, the quartet practiced in the park. Now, who's the quartet? I mean, the, the, the first one you would think about would be uh, the Beatles, but they're not. And and the line before makes that clear because... While Renan was leading a book on, uh, reading a book on Marx, he couldn't at the same time be part of the quartet who was practicing in the park because he was he was he was reading right. So there's um, uh, the so not not the Beatles in the Shea Stadium. Then uh, some people claim it's a reference to the Weavers uh, who were blacklisted uh, during the McCarthy area, and it it would make sense. That uh, that McLean would refer to the McCarthy area as this this really dark chapter in in in, in U.S. history, one of the many dark chapters. Um, so, uh, yeah, that 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 could be that uh, that that McLean was was referring uh, referring to that. Um, and uh, yeah, it, oh, there's there's different interpretations there. And then it goes on, uh, and we sang dirges in the dark. Well, a dirge is a funeral or um, uh, mourning songs. So it it could be a reference to some of the new the art rock groups uh, that uh, played long pieces, which were not meant for for dancing. So it's 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 a kind of funeral song for the. Uh, for the classic uh, danceable uh, rock and roll. Um, well, then there's the refrain again, and then it gets gets more. We get we get further in the in the we we get towards the end of the 1960s. Helter skelter in the summer in a summer swelter. So helter skelter is, of course, first of all the Beatles song uh, from the White Album that we all know, 
um, and probably you also all know uh, Charles Manson, who recently died uh, just just a couple of years ago, I think maybe two or three years ago, uh, who claimed that he was inspired by the song uh, to uh, to to um, to 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 lead on these um, Tate and La Bianca murders in California. So. The, the summer swelter could be a, a reference to the summer of love. Um, it's it's um, yeah, it's it's not really really clear. But I guess when you say helter skelter, it is clear that it is linked both to uh, to the Beatles as well as to Charles Manson, uh, and and that is also I think an example of where the the creativity and the the the, the the, all the, the positive forces of the 1960s completely went into a very negative overdrive. And this 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 absurd kind of sect uh, that uh, that Manson was uh, was leading. I think he still still received love letters until the day that he was dying by all kinds of crazy people that were somehow uh, attracted to his his bizarre and uh, dangerous uh, cult. Well, and then uh, yeah, this one's easy. The birds flew off. Uh, with the fallout shelter eight miles high and falling fast. That is, of course, uh, eight miles high uh, from the birds. Uh, that's a little bit earlier than 66. Um, and it, uh, this song was widely banned uh, because it was uh, a song about uh, drugs, uh, which other songs of them were also about, but people had just not, not paid uh, notice, which, which was often... The case with these censors uh, that um, when when Lou Reed thinks about taking a walk on the wild side, that's about using heroin, but people had no idea what it referred to, so it became a big hit. Um, and then uh, the birds, by the way, who had their first hit, um, "Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man," which was given to them by Bob Dylan, uh, which which is uh, which is interesting. So and then it uh, it landed foul on the grass. Uh, well, grass refers to marijuana, of course. And uh, yeah, one of the birds was was uh, arrested for the possession of uh, marijuana, um, which is a consistent theme in 1960s all over the world. And probably the only country where people still get excited about marijuana is the United States. Um, nowhere else do you ever read in the newspaper about marijuana. Um, the players tried for a forward pass. Well, okay, that's football, of course, a forward pass. Um, it could be about the Rolling Stones. I would say that is the most logical here, that um, the the Beatles uh, stopped, uh, certainly just already stopped uh, performing, uh, in in uh, in the late 1960s, they were really on their on their uh, in their in their last phase in 1970, they uh, they would they would stop as a band, and that of course gave an opening for uh, the Stones, who had always been trailing behind, them picking up what the Beatles had developed, but then expanding on it and making it more aggressive and more fantastic and then uh, giving that an extra twist that the Beatles had not given to it. So that the kind of um, relationship between those two bands is is fascinating uh, to follow. Uh, but yeah, that's a forward pass, you know. They stop and they could, um, uh, the, the, the Stones could just run uh, forward. Um, uh, 
Then it says with the jester on the sidelines in a cast. Jester, remember, that's Bob Dylan. Uh, he crashed his uh, motorcycle. I remember him saying in an interview that he believed that the back wheel got somehow blocked, which is a strange story because I've never heard that from any other motorcycle, um, which was uh, close to uh, to Woodstock. And he was uh, for nine months completely out of it to... Uh, uh, to to get better again after after that incident, um, so then it says now the halftime air was sweet perfume, which is drugs of course, while the sergeants played a marching tune and uh, the most absolute most brilliant album of the Beatles at least for me is uh, Sergeant Pepper's of course, um, that that would make a lot of sense uh, while the sergeants played a marching tune. Um, and it is marching because uh, it's no longer dance music. You can't dance on uh, Sgt. Pepper's, however brilliant it is, but we've left the dancing music uh, behind. Um, and a marching tune might also have a double reference. It could, also, of course, also be about um, having to march uh, because of the draft, and, and, and then we get to the, to the Vietnam War. And then we all got up to dance, Oh, but we never got a chance. Um, so uh, there was a Beatles concert in in '66 in, in Candlestick Park, uh, which uh, was cut short after just 35 minutes. Um, or um, it could also be there was just simply no more uh, no more music uh, to dance to. Um, Willie went to Hyde Asbury. Okay, so Willie and Sharon could have <laughs> could have met there. Uh, that is amazing. Great, Willie. Um, and then I see Sharon um, and one of the Manson followers just got parole in California. So eerie. Oh gosh, that, that woman must be so old by now. Uh, she must have been in her twenties in 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 sixty nine in her early twenties probably. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think it's about time uh, to release those uh, those that were fooled into uh, into his cult. He was the main guy, and uh, they were all crazy. But it's about time to let those people out. I think this was a wise decision. Um, and then, because the players tried to take the field, the marching band refused to y to yield. So, um, uh, of course. The Beatles dominated uh, all innovation in uh, in pop music from from '62 to the to 1970. Um, so um, the brilliant album, one of my absolute favorites, Pet Sounds from the Beach Boys, is just most people have never even heard of it, which is uh, which is such a shame. It was just because of this this almighty Beatles with their fantastic Sgt. Pepper's. Uh, they just just rolled over everything, so they 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 controlled the whole field. Um, and uh, well, if you don't know it, Pet Sounds of of, of the Beach Boys, I just, I just love it. So I I think this may, this may refer to that, which has been extremely frustrating experience for those Beach Boys who who started with with just as silly music as uh, as as the first Mercy Beat bands, including the Beatles. Uh, but like the Beatles, they they've been so creative in in coming out of it in the second half of the 1960s, and that is somehow a lot of people miss that. Uh, it remains a very Californian thing, I think. And um, 
lot of people say actually that when the players try to take the fields, the marching bands refuse to yield, that that actually refers to the democratic uh, convention. Um, yeah, it's it's it it could be. Um, I, yeah, there's, there's, well, people are, are referring a lot about it. Some people also say it could be, um, since he referred, he may have referred earlier to the draft, uh, it, it, it could actually be the whole military industrial complex establishment that uh, just didn't listen to the songs of, of the musicians about, about peace, because... Um, as I said, so in, in, in the second half of the 1960s, you see very dark forces coming together, including from the industry, uh, maybe for a first time. I mean, you could also start with McCarthy, maybe, if you look at the post-war area, but that was, that was a more, more purely political thing. Um, but I think here, um, yeah, the, the, the big corporations started to, uh, to, to, to really show their influence. So, it it could be I doubt actually whether McLean uh, would have would have gone that far. I'm I don't know. Maybe maybe he wrote in such a way that afterwards he gave room for everybody to give their own interpretation. And then, do you recall what was revealed the day the music died? We started singing la la la, and then we get a refrain, and then last verse. Um, you're still with me, I believe. That is uh, that is great. Let me briefly go to the um, uh, to the to the chat um, because Willie writes. I remember the Beach Boys and the Supremes uh, being at the top of the pop music charts, and then the Beatles took over. Also, there was a connection uh, with between the Beach Boys and the Manson Gang. Okay, I didn't know that one. That is uh, that is fascinating to uh, to look at the the. Manson to the Beatles is easy, of course, because of Helter Skelter. Um, the one with the Beach Boys, interesting. It's both California, of course. That is that is obvious. Um, okay, I'll I'll Google on that and 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 search on that. Uh, thanks, Willie. And and then yeah, the last verse it starts. Uh, and then we were all in one place, which is of course Woodstock. Um, a generation lost in space. Well, there 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 could be a few things. I mean, there's of course. Uh, the space uh, program uh, and the Apollo 11 was in um, uh, in the summer of uh, of 69. Um, that um, uh, what is it? Neil Armstrong and um, um, I forgot his name now. I met him. The other, the second guy who uh, stepped on Eldrin, uh, Buzz Eldrin. Uh, landed on the moon with Collins flying around. Collins, Collins recently died, actually, uh, but uh, Buzz Aldrin is still around, often in the media, unlike um, Neil Armstrong, who already died, but who never likes media that much. Um, so, yeah, it, it could be the space program, uh, but, yeah, space, it could also be hippies, you know, the lost generation, uh, generation lost in space. Um, so... Yeah, that 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 could be um, one of those two, I would say. Uh, and then, with no time left to start again, the lost generation was all the time just uh, stoned, wasting their lives, uh, hanging out at all kinds of uh, of, of pop concerts. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe uh, they had 
pushed the music so far away from the original um the original rock and roll which was at that moment just just 10 years earlier let's imagine how much has changed in just one decade um it's the speed of change in in history and in 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 creativity that we we don't see nowadays in in music um so yeah no time left to start again i mean we we never really started again with classic rock and roll it's it it it, it looks a bit like old music nowadays however brilliant and swinging it still can be um and then yeah so come on jack be nimble jack be quick um some people refer to mick jagger uh, of, of jumping jack flash uh, i remember reading i couldn't find it today i remember reading years ago that uh there uh, this could also somehow be related to uh to kennedy and the assassination on, on kennedy well jack is an indication um but uh, uh i i forgotten what that linkage is well, something to work out some days and then jack flash sat on a candlestick uh so yeah there's there's the candlestick concert of the stones if you stay in this uh, stone thing i'm not really sure where else uh, what else this is all about mclean should speak up someday before he's no longer amongst us and we're we're left with this puzzle and then it says, cause fire is the devil's only friend. Uh, well, friend of the devil, uh, Grateful Dead. Um, it would make sense to have the Grateful Dead in here as well. Um, it's, um, yeah, and there, uh, it, it, it could also refer to the Cuba crisis. Um, but that is, uh, I, I wonder if, if that makes sense, because in the in the lyrics of the song we are already in the late 1960s, um, and and we're 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 no longer in the very early 60s of of the Cuba crisis, um, and as I watched him on the stage, my hands were clenched in fists of rage. No angel, hell's angel, born in hell, could break that Satan spell. This is uh, clearly Altamont's uh, uh, concert of 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 the Stones in '68. Uh, where uh, the Hells Angels were responsible for for security, and it it's well, people say that uh, that Jagger could actually see from stage uh, how how that murder took uh, took place. Um, so, um, yeah, there's well, there's, there's a lot on this in 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 the media. A lot you can read about it. A lot you can you can find about it. Um, point is that. Uh, for uh, for years, that uh, sympathy of the devil that they were playing, uh, and that may have incited all the all the violence that uh, that happened, uh, they they didn't play it for six years live after this concert. So yeah, they knew uh, they knew there was some kind of connection. Um, but yeah, whatever happened there, uh, really sad. Um, and then as the flames climbed high into the night, uh, the light. Uh, to light a sacrificial rite. So um, my best guess from what I've read about this is uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, burning his guitar uh, at, at the Monterey Festival. Um, it, again, Jimi Hendrix, by the way, uh, from remember from one or two previous podcasts um, of, of, of the 27 uh, Club. Um, so it's... It could also be, it could refer to the burial of Kennedy. 
uh, I think that's less likely. I would I would say this is clearly Jimi Hendrix because it would be odd not to have Jimi Hendrix in in this list of of of, of the key um, key figures, the most brilliant guitar player of of the sixties. And then I saw Satan laughing with delight the day the music died. He was singing blah blah blah. Oh, and there's of course last version. There's there's Janis Joplin. I met a girl who sang the blues, and I asked her for some happy news, but she just smiled and turned away. Um, that's of course when she took her um, heroin overdose um, in the 1970s. So that was that was basically by the time that he was writing this song in late 1970. Uh, that uh, that this happened, Janis Joplin, whom we've also discussed in the e earlier podcast. I mean, we we've really covered uh, the whole 1960s. I'm looking at um, uh, at the comments. A great podcast, says Sharon. Uh, I'm making a new playlist from these songs since I couldn't make it to a high Esprit. And then Willie comes back. I missed Altamont because I had to take a college entrance text test that they that is that is fantastic i i'm all, always so amazed not having lived in the 60s but being fascinated by that period that life just went on when when i think for instance of my parents in the 1960s uh they were done in their uh they were in their uh, 30s early 40s they were just living absolutely square lives in 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 just uh, my my father hard working going to the office every day wearing uh, wearing a tie if 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 you couldn't stop him even in the weekend uh, and my mother being uh, the, the typical mother taking care of the kids i mean a classic uh, 1960s family um there wasn't any 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 cell in their body that was rebellious in any way and I think all their friends and colleagues were exactly like that. So, so this this enormous influential movement is is mainly something in the big cities in 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 the main countries. Uh, and I I guess it's a relatively small part of society uh, that was really out there. We weren't all at Woodstock. We were all in one place. Well, Woodstock was I think uh, half a million strong. Uh, just to give another quote, um, but uh, that is just half a million on on a Western world which consisted of of many hundreds of million, if not if not a billion already in in, in those days. Um, but I find it fascinating. I wonder how that is for you if you if you if you look at your parents' generation in the fifties and sixties, um, how um, how that was. Um, and for Willie, the 60s were a very interesting time that totally shaped his life. And um, that, uh, I, I, I love to hear that. And, uh, and as I said, in many ways, the music of the 60s uh, shaped my life, even though uh, I was born in, in 65. Uh, so it's, um, uh, but I remember at school, um, uh, disco became really popular amongst my friends and they were, always talking about the latest disco hit uh, that came out and then there were a few that really liked punk music which i never liked although i thought the phenomenon was funny um but already in in around that time when i was let's say 1970 or so uh, by, by 1980 or in the late 1970s i was actually going back in time instead of uh, forward um not that i'm such a conservative uh, in case you might think so um and then he he thinks, I went down to the sacred store 
where I'd heard the music years before. And uh, many people think that uh, it, uh, it, it was uh, a music store, a well-known music store, uh, which uh, by a man named Bill Graham, where, where he actually did, did go and which was later closed. Um, it could also be uh, record stores much more in, in general. Um, and that is typically a memory that I have, and I guess quite a few listeners may have that too, because after school, I then I, I lived in a village close to a big city, so then I cycled, being Dutch, to the big city, and uh, you went to those record store, and they had like a small room where about six people could sit, and you could just uh, take a record, and they would play it for you. There was no Spotify, etc. of course. So they would play it for you. You could listen to quite a few records and then make your choice or you didn't buy anything. So that was typically a kind of uh, thing you could do after school. So I, I I, still know exactly where my sacred store was um, in, in, in the city of Leiden, where I've listened to a lot, a lot of albums. Um, and... Uh, uh, Willy hated disco. I still hate it, Willy. <laughs> Loved punk. I was a deadhead in the 1960s. Fantastic. Uh, well, I covered Grateful Dead quite a few times here. Um, I lived in record stores uh, and used bookstores. Same here, Willy. You and I should talk someday because um, uh, you, you may be 10 years ahead of me, but I think there's so many memories. When I'm now in, in a city nowadays, there's no record stores. And there's hardly any bookstores. And I think cities are nowadays less fun than they used to be um, because there's nothing to shop anymore. And I don't like Amazon that much. Um, and uh, Evelyn was in San Francisco when Jerry Garcia died. Okay. Um, even kijken. And then, yeah, oh, that was in Dutch what I just said. Let's, let's look again. I said in Dutch. Um, but the man there said the music wouldn't play. So uh, maybe nobody was interested in listening to Buddy Holly anymore. But it could also refer to what both Willie and I remember so vividly, that those uh, in-store listening booths um, uh, with, with those, those dirty headsets that you put, uh, had to put on, uh, that they no longer exist. And um, <laughs> Willie actually met Jerry Garcia. Willie, you should be in the show. Um, join us. And um, uh, and then uh, in the streets, the children screamed. So uh, flower children being beaten by the police and National Guard troops is one interpretation. The famous picture comes to mind of this, I think, a Vietnam protester who's putting flowers into the is that a barrel of a gun of the of the police uh, of the national guard troops i love that picture uh, the lovers cried and the poets dreamed uh, yeah so it, it got more psychedelic and um, it's funny that sharon called this song itself very poetic and dreamy um, so yeah that could be um, but not a word was spoken the church bells all were broken um, yeah it, it could be that uh, the, the broken bells are all those dead musicians. They because they can simply uh, no longer make music. I mean, quite a few of those we already covered in in the earlier uh, podcast, and uh, at least uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix and, and Janis Joplin were also mentioned in uh, in this song. 
Um, and then he gets to, um, and the three men I admire most, we're really at the end of the song now, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Um, there's there's quite a quite a few different interpretations here what uh, what 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 this could be um i uh holy uh could be the big bobber bobber and valance or it could be hank williams and presley or buddy holly again or it could be um jfk martin luther king and bobby kennedy um but it's it it could also i i don't think that uh, when he mentions the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, uh, that he actually means uh, three people that he mentioned in the song. Um, I I think that um, he he once said in an interview, McLean, that he wasn't sure how to end the song. Um, so he he let the the lyrics he wrote just just kind of lead to a conclusion and. Um, he he wanted a very quiet ending, he said, which is uh, consistent with the very quiet opening long, long time ago. Um, so the gods from the Bible um, even jumped on the train and they went west to California, which which is the Garden of Sin. So um, that is that is literally a quote from McLean, and I I think that is uh, the closest we get to to understanding. Uh, these lines um, and um, yeah and then he ends they caught the last train for the coast uh, and then uh, the, the day the music died so um, yeah so that's 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 uh, and then you get to refrain so that is that is basically that that's a beautiful ending of the song and I as I said I I, I believe it 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 kind of with this slow opening and slow ending of the song, it it, it puts the the more folky and more rock and roll part of the song in uh, in the middle. Um, so uh, yeah, so this is just one or several different interpretations. If you search on the internet, you find easily a hundred uh, different ones uh, added to it. Um, but I b I believe this song is a uh, fantastic. Um, uh, cultural monument of within the pop music. It's pop music about pop music. It is um, also pop music about um, about politics, which music should be about because it is it, it is a sure way to reach young people and. And that was that used to be stronger in the past, of course, for the very simple reason that there wasn't anything else. There was hardly television when I grew up. Um, and if you wanted to hear anything else than from your teachers or from your parents, the only way you had uh, access to something else uh, was music and radio. Um, uh, I'm probably from the last generation for whom radio was was really an important thing in my life that you stayed home to listen to a radio program instead of just the kind of distraction that you put on in the car when you're driving and you don't want to fall asleep and there were you you spoke at school with your friends about uh, the great radio program you had heard the day before and 
I think with generation now that is just um, I think they hardly ever listen to directly to radio. I think they 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 might listen to uh, pre-recorded podcasts, but much more to just pre-recorded music. But there's so much else. There's all kinds of video games and all kinds of other distractions. And there's there's the internet and there's the social media and they spend time on TikTok and Instagram and whatever. And we didn't have all of that. So the only external impulse was radio, was music. That made it so influential. And um, Willie uh, still listens to radio. Thank you, Willie. Uh, and uh, and works at um, community at a community radio station. Good for you, Willie. I'm glad that people still do that. I must admit that I listen less to the less to the radio nowadays than I used to do. Um, but that's because I read and write a lot, and um, I can't being being a non-native speaker. Uh, I just get too confused if I hear English singing while I'm either writing or reading in English. And then it's just, it, it slows down my brain. Um, and I could, of course, listen to Dutch music while reading English music. But there's not that much Dutch songs that I <laughs> like, to, like to listen to. Uh, there are a few beautiful ones. Um, I think that's about it because... If I'm not mistaken, I've been doing here uh, practically a monologue for like uh, m way more than an hour. Um, you probably have better things to do than uh, than just to listen to me. And I'm now going back from the chat to uh, to that other button, and I see that everybody is still here. That is great. You've you've been around uh, the whole time. That is wonderful. I hope that you liked it. Um, I'm not really sure about different dates this week. Uh, there's certainly the one with Alistair. That's just a regular one on Thursday. That one is going on. Um, I will also. I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure whether I will go to Germany or not. And on that depends a lot on the other planning. So um, if uh, if all well, it's it's too soon to say. Just uh, uh, via the usual channels, which is either uh, on um, on call-in itself, but there I'm normally pretty late in announcing uh, when, when I'm uh, doing something, or just uh, just follow it uh, via Twitter. And uh, I'll try to, um, uh, for some of you, just to, uh, to send you a, um, uh, a direct message via either Twitter or call-in uh, to let you know if... Um, if something is uh, is happening, I think there's probably like one or two interviews uh, going on, but I'm a bit behind with my email, so I have to start working on all that. With having said that, uh, thank you all so much. Thank you for the buy me a coffees. I really appreciate that. Um, and it's high time that I'm also going to work on the, on the next newsletter. Um, so uh, that will also soon come out. Thanks for staying with me so long and um, hope to see you all soon. Bye-bye.